Hey, it's Kathy. I'm so excited because, drumroll please, doors are officially open to my program, The Abundance Method. I have been wanting to put this program out in the world for two and a half years. I've been working on it behind the scenes, and this is my signature program. This is the program that is going to teach you the method, the framework for how to become a master manifester in your life. Why is that? Because everything is vibration. We live in a world that is atomic. That means the world is made of atoms, which is energy. 99.9% of every atom is energy and less than 1% particle. So in order for us to manifest in our life, we need to become the highest vibe possible and to sustain that. This program is going to show you how to meditate and how to set your day on the right track so that you have a practice that can help you project your amazing energy into the world, which will bend the 3D, which will help you manifest in ways that you won't even believe. This is a transformative live 10-week program. It is designed to help you on this journey of spiritual awakening. It's going to give you tons of tools. I'm going to show you how to change your energy, master the manifestation once and for all, This is the first program of its kind. We're actually trademarking all of this framework because it is something that is so unique. And I think you're going to be so excited about learning it. Also, there are some bonuses right now. If you sign up, you're going to get an exclusive podcast so that you can be listening to this program. If you can't make the live Zoom calls, we can give it to you on a track so that you can be listening to it like you do a podcast. Also, you're going to get a pack of 10 meditations from me. And you're going to be getting a training that I just gave a workshop called Permission to be Rich, one of the best workshops I've ever done, which you will love. And there is a platinum level to this program. If you choose the platinum level, not only do you get extra coaching calls with me, you also get extra mentor support, but this is really cool. You also get a retreat included. My retreats are normally $3,000. You will get the retreat for free included. Plus, you will get a front row seat at that retreat because you will be on the platinum VIP track at the retreat. All of this is here for you. I'd love to see you in this program. I want to see you tapping in, turning on to that electricity within you so that you can find your way to the life that you were born to manifest for yourself. You can join us now at kathyheller.com slash join. I cannot wait. Get on in there. See what all the excitement is about. It's going to be so much fun. Thanks to Indeed for supporting Don't Keep Your Day Job. Right now, small businesses have to be more efficient than ever. Every hire is critical. Indeed is the number one job site in the world. Get a free $75 credit at indeed.com slash dreamjob. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through September 30th. Also, thanks to Freshly. With Freshly, you can avoid the grocery store and enjoy fully prepared dinners delivered fresh, not frozen, right to your door. Freshly is offering you $40 off your first two orders at freshly.com slash dreamjob. Hey guys, it's Kathy Heller. Welcome back to another episode of Don't Keep Your Day Job. I am so happy right now. My heart is so full and I feel like I am walking on a cloud because Rob Lowe is here and he is truly one of the kindest, most delightful human beings I've ever had the pleasure of spending time with. So I'm not going to make you wait one second longer We are going to dive right in because you are going to want to eat him with a spoon because he is such a delicious human being. 
He needs no introduction, but just to remind us all, he's one of the most iconic actors. He's been in the business for over 40 years. You may have seen him in The Outsiders, St. Elmo's Fire, The West Wing, Parks and Recreation, Behind the Candelabra, Austin Powers, Wayne's World, Tommy Boy, or any other of the awesome things that he's done. He's been nominated for two Emmys, six Golden Globes, and he's won two Screen Actors Guild Awards. He's also an author of two New York Times bestselling memoirs, and recently he started his own podcast, which is called Literally with Rob Lowe. It's an amazing show with such deep, meaningful conversations with guests like Conan O'Brien, Chris Pratt, Magic Johnson, and Gwyneth Paltrow, to just name a few. Definitely go right now and subscribe. It is free to subscribe. It is a delight. You will fall in love with him more and more every single episode, and you will find it so worthwhile. So go ahead and add that to your podcast queue. It's such an honor that he's here. Without further ado, please welcome the coolest, most gorgeous, most awesome guest we've ever had on this show, Rob Lowe. Rob Lowe, you're here. My heart is racing because it's you. So I want to just go back to you for a second. And when you were a kid, did you have any inkling you'd become an actor like, where did that start? Yeah. Um, by the way, thank you for having me. This is very fun. So I had, I think, was probably a vision when I was eight years old. Uh, my parents dragged me to a neighborhood production of the, at the neighborhood playhouse of Oliver. And, you know, in Oliver, there are the little ragamuffin kids in it. Yeah. And I saw all those kids up on stage. And I had this oh moment where the light hit me and it was like out of a cliche in a movie unfortunately it was in Dayton Ohio and not Hollywood right. where that happened <laughs> right. so I had to figure I had to figure out a way to navigate that but I was stupid enough to believe that a kid an eight-year-old kid from Dayton Ohio would one day be a successful actor but I did believe it at eight years old weren't you right but so many people have this dream and then you have a non-stop career what do you attribute that to? I mean, you're so humble. You really are. So it's probably hard to answer that about yourself. But what do you think that is about you? What do you think that is about other people if they're able to sustain success? What do you think makes that possible? Well, it's the difference between having the dream and realizing it. That's one element. But I think your question is really the sustainability of a success once you get it. And there's a couple of keys, at least for me. One was the ability to stay curious and interested and connected to real life and not just live in a, in a success bubble. That enables you to reinvent yourself because um, reinventing yourself is key. The new version of you is really important, not just in, in finding success in terms of business and passion and dreams, but just in terms of growth. You know, I'm glad I'm not the same guy I was in my 20s that I am now in my 50s. And the same is true for my career. You know, I'm doing stuff now in my 50s I never would have done or thought about doing in my 20s. And the way I'm driven to do that is by curiosity and staying interested and, and seeing what new opportunities the world has. And the only way you have that is by continuing to pay attention. That's awesome. And one of the things that people say about you behind your back is that you're one of the hottest people walking the earth ever. <laughs> but the other thing they say about you is that you have this grace, this humility where most people who were like the single biggest heartthrob, right? When they were young, that's it. 
and you're willing to like be silly and laugh at yourself and like be in these roles where you're like that guy who everyone's kind of laughing at, but like, you're okay with that. And Mm. I just feel like that says so much about you. And where did that come from that you became this leading comedic guy after being like the pinup poster guy? Like, did you ever think that that would happen? And like, where does that comedy all of a sudden come from? What made that pivot? Well, thank you. That's just very nice for you to say. I, I, first of all, I love making fun of myself. Oh, look, all my heroes had the ability to make fun of themselves in great ways. If you look at like, let's, I'm just, for example, look at JFK. Guy's a stud. He's JFK. He's great looking. He's JFK. But if you look at his press conferences, and I recommend to anybody, if you want to look at how different our world is, go to YouTube and look at a JFK press mm. conference. It's like a stand-up comedy act. Really? He's funny about himself, 100% self-deprecating, and you just love him for it. And I've always liked humor, comedy. I grew up watching Saturday Night Live. I was obsessed, more obsessed, frankly, with early Saturday Night Live than, than movies, really. And... I got a chance to work with Lorne Michaels and those guys in the, when I hosted the show three times and the shows were all fun and I had a blast. And then that went into the Wayne's worlds and the Austin Powers's and the Tommy boys, but they were just the people that tapped into what was already there. You know, an actor is only as good as the roles they're given. And, you know, up until then I was the guy on the wall, which by the way, a poster is two dimensional when you think about it. Right. Right. And they saw me as having more to offer. And I'm sort of internally in their debt. You know, I did a, a Comedy Central roast where I got roasted. I don't know if you've ever seen the Comedy Central roast. It's, I have. And I've seen that one. And you were such a good sport. Oh, my I got, God. I yeah. get destroyed. And by the way, I had fun. I think like I'm, I'm horrible at math, by the way. I've designed my whole life <laughs> so I can avoid doing anything to do with math. So this analogy, I'm going to screw up because it's a math analogy. But basically, there's got to be some direct correlation between your ability to take a joke and how three-dimensional you actually are. Totally. Yeah, that's so cool. And I heard David Spade say it was just the greatest time of his life having you on Tommy Boy. He was just talking about it recently. Like, that was just the coolest thing. And yeah, you did it so well. Yeah, I think... With you, and I'm just guessing, I feel like part of the reason your career is just endless is because people want to be around you because of that quality. You seem like the most easy to be around person in the room because (laughs) you have no reason to be nice to anyone because you're so damn cute. And then you're really nice and really humble and you have a long, awesome marriage and really cool kids. That's what people should be intimidated by, is that goodness. (laughs) I think you're one in a zillion. Listen, again, it's so nice to say, and when you're saying those nice things, my initial thought was, you need to talk to my wife. You need to like remind (laughs) her, her, get her on it, remind her how cool I am. By the way, and particularly remind my kids in the COVID lockdown, how easy I am to be around. I I need, um, but I, look, I love being with my family. I do. It's my favorite thing. Um, If I could do any one thing, it would be hang out with them. And you know, I got really lucky. I married the right person. You know, people ask about marriages and, and how you make them work. And there's no secret sauce to it, really, other than picking the right person. And they asked Albert Hitchcock, I think, had a great quote about what makes a hit movie. 
And I think it's the same as what makes a successful marriage. And Hitchcock said, it's all about the cash game. <laughs> and the thing with you, though, it, I think it's really a test to be you in a sense, because like everywhere you go, there is a line of 20 million people who are like, I'll take that spot. That's a test to have that. No, seriously. Like I think for these basketball players or whatever it is, and like they get caught cheating. It's like, do you have that test? Like you get off the bus and the, you know, you don't, you work at Home Depot. And you're just like, whatever, like these guys, it's nonstop. Like, so for you, I don't, it's like you, you must have some deep spiritual, like, or some just like sense of self that who knows comes from your upbringing or, cause it can't be that you don't feel it everywhere you go that people are just like, throwing themselves at you like I, it, it's impossible like and somehow you were able to do that that is unthinkable to me i mean look here's the other thing is you have to have partners who understand who get that and cheryl really has been understanding and helped me through those issues because those are real issues they're 100 oh, yeah. you know it's the old rock and roll cliche sex drugs and rock and roll it is a part of the business um, less so now, interestingly. The 80s were nuts. But now I think uh, the business has more adults in it than it did then. Yeah. But that, yeah, that's a thing. That's been a, a thing. It just sure. speaks volumes. It just speaks volumes to who you are. I think there's probably four people in Hollywood who have managed to be successful like you and look like you, although none of them looked like you, but and then have that kind of marriage. And it's amazing. I wanted to ask you, though, about the 80s and what was that like for you? Because I imagine from where, all, where we're standing is like, oh, you're the coolest person in the world. But to be that young and to be that adored and to have that much going on all the time, like I imagine that takes its toll in its own way. Like, what was that like? And how did you keep going and come back from that? Because I feel like that must have been a ride. Well, it, it was a ride for sure. And, you know, I think when I look and I see the latest person who is standing in that spot in, mm -hmm. in the in the culture and it changes every about five years i think and then the people who are standing in that spot probably have a shelf life of about 10 yeah lucky and so it's just a conveyor belt it's been going on since the beginning of time i'm sure there was a teen idol in uh you know in the egyptian era <laughs> yeah. uh king tut the boy king i mean there he was <laughs> so yep. It's nothing new. It's Elvis. You know, today it's Bieber and, uh, you know, on and on. But very few people get to be there, you know? So it's hard to talk about that without sounding like an idiot. And it's so difficult to have people yelling and screaming about you. <laughs> but that said, it always made me uncomfortable. And it took me years to figure out why. And a lot of therapy and examination. And what it comes down to is, you know that they don't know you. You know it. They know a picture. A lot of times what's really interesting is I knew they didn't even know the work. Like I was an actor. I've always been really serious. I don't take myself seriously, but I take what I do really seriously. People, by the way, conflate the two all the time, but that's another subject. Mm -hmm. And I just had the sense that the reaction was more about them than it was about me. It was more about groupthink, their peers, hormones, how I looked on the outside, nothing to do with how I was on the inside, and frankly, sometimes very little about the work. And that would frustrate me, for sure. And I think when teen idols and people like that go through this process and they all, they all come out of it dinged, 
in some way, I think that's really what it's about. I think if girls were screaming, oh my God, Bieber, the acapeglio that you played in the second <laughs> bar of your song was amazing. He would have a way better time with it. Yeah. When I first came to LA, randomly, I got a job working for Lou Savage, Fred Savage's dad who passed away a few years ago. Oh my God. And I know that you guys are so cute together. It's yeah. ridiculous. I love and he's, him. He, yeah, yeah, of course. You had such good chemistry. But he said that, you know, Fred was just like this kid in Chicago, like, and he kind of didn't get it. And then he remembers getting out of a limo at the Century Plaza Hotel and all these girls came over and Fred goes, dad. And he like got scared. And he was like, that was the last time we walked out of a car. And it was hard. Like it was really hard. And he, to his credit, like, you know, he married this girl from Chicago and like normal, mm -hmm. but They're normal. So, yeah, but so many people like, you know, Lindsay Lohan and all these people, it's like, of course, like ding, 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 here comes the train wreck. Of course. Like, how do you sustain that energy? Like, so people take drugs and people, cause it's well, really, really hard. It's like intense. Well, yeah. The other, the, the other part of it that's really important is, and you just raised it, is the drugs and alcohol thing. And I, I have a theory that um, if there's any question about any train wreck, drugs and alcohol are there. And I certainly, you know, I've been in recovery now for 30 years. I haven't had a drink or a drug in 30 years now, but that really lit it up for me because it was the only way I was able to get away from it. Yep. And I was a people pleaser. A Midwestern Ohio people pleaser, deadly combination for a teen idol. <laughs> a people pleasing teen idol is a yeah, recipe for disaster. Yeah. Your people pleaser is not so good with boundaries. Nope. So I was, you know, never able to really do whatever I wanted to do. And drinking was an escape for me to do that. And a lot of people go there and then can't get out of that. And that's, yep. that's yep. an issue. I heard Tom Petty say that after, you know, he played a stadium, he'd have to go in the hotel room and like, pace back and forth for like two hours just to come down from that amount of energy. And then he said, so of course people do drugs because you don't even know how to live a normal life because everything's so high energy. You're amazing constantly. And then you come back to like, you're just going to the grocery store. You're like, well, I don't even get what this is. And I don't yeah. think people get how hard that is. Like to be in the, the string of movies you were in at that time and there's constantly flashing lights, it, it is a drug. And it's hard then to just be like hanging out on a Saturday and like, what do you do? And everyone's doing that too. So it's, again, it's all these things about you are just super impressive because most people who peak at that time, that's it. But you've like completely, I feel like now you're even more famous than you were then. I, I do. The other thing that I don't know that everybody knows about you is that you can't hear out of one ear. <laughs> yeah. I know. And it, it's one of those things that I wonder how much it has affected my life in ways that, that I don't know. I mean, as those things go in people's lives, it's a complete non-issue. You know, I mean, there are people who, who are born or have physical difficulties that are way, 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 way more challenging than that. And I also don't know any differently. We think that I had the mumps or something when I was about nine or 10 months old. And as I get older, it's more of an issue. You know, I, crowds are tough. Loud restaurants are brutal. Oh I'm God. sure there, there are multiple incidences of people coming up to me on the street and saying hello and me not hearing them. Betcha. They're like, that Roblo is such an asshole. I went up to him and said hello and he didn't even look at me. Like, I, I bet you there's a lot of that out there. Mm. 
Yeah, yeah. And I'm just, I'm deaf as a stone in that room, in my it's, right ear. You're really like I'm telling you, it's like you have so, sort of this like goodness and this resilience. It's just it's so your default. Like you didn't. You're like, oh yeah, people have such worse things. It's like that's a pretty severe thing. You know, it's pretty. And you act for a living. You're listening for a living. Like. And you're so good at it. Well, you know, it's um, funny. I, I have, you're right. Thank you. By the way, you know, that's acting is listening. That is the key to acting is listening. And I think because I'm deaf in one ear, I have like supersonic hearing in the other ear. And I'm a really, 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 really good listener. But I have to really focus in. It's like my wife and I watching TV together is a really interesting thing because she obviously has regular hearing and is a regular person. And she can kind of like, read a book and, you know, kind of adjust things on the coffee table and say something to the kid. And I have to be in a zone, in a 100% tunnel to enjoy things. And I weirdly think that's helped with my acting. And that goes back to like, you're so, like I said, people love you. And I think when you're with someone, like you are all in, you are super present and people want so much to be seen. And that's what you do. And then you're this kid from the Midwest who's nice. So that's a really good combination. <laughs> um, I was going to ask you about that for people who are listening who want to be actors, because so much of our audience are creatives, you know, who want to leave their day job and do the fun thing that oh, they always right. want to do. So yeah. you said listening. Who are the actors that you admired when you were a kid? And, and what do you think when you're on set? What makes you go, see, that's a really good actor? Oh, boy. I mean, the, the, for me, number one is charisma. And it sounds like you would have to have charisma to be a successful actor. I find that not to be true, both in, both in terms of my experience <laughs> yep. of, of acting, but also being a, a fan and a consumer, which I still am of movies and TV. There are just certain people that just don't speak to me. And it's a chemical thing. It has nothing to do with beauty, age, nothing. You know, you can be Christopher Plummer and riveting can't take your eyes off of them at 80 plus years old. So it's, it's not a, a, a physical characteristic. It's a DNA thing. Gene Hackman is another one. But that said, I did have a uh, predilection for the pretty boys. I did. <laughs> uh, so I did like me some Warren Beatty. I did. I did like me some Paul Newman. And some Robbie Redford. <laughs> so I did, I, you know, I, I was drawn to the, to the leading men. But, um, you know, today my, my guys are like Daniel Day-Lewis and uh, oh Michael God. Fassbender, Joaquin Phoenix. Oh, yeah. Amazing. Those are all guys I would watch in, in anything. They've, they've never been bad. And what they have to offer, well, here's what's interesting about those guys, is they don't have incredible range for my money. I mean, I think Joaquin, he's really good in a very specific window, yep. but he's, he's so explosively watchable and honest. And that's the other thing. These guys are so honest. They're incapable of a false moment. Incapable. Mm, that's so um, beautiful. And then there's a guy like Hanks, who I also adore, who's got just tremendous range. Can be hilarious. Hilarious. I mean, those guys, never hilarious. That hilarious Joaquin Phoenix is not a phrase you're ever going to hear. Correct. Um, and, and by the way, no need to. But Hanks can do it all. And Matt Damon, mm. another one. He can do it all. I would say people say that about you. That's the thing. But it makes sense. That's why you appreciate those people because you see in other people what you have in yourself. I know this is probably such a hard question for you to answer, but what comes to mind, I guess, like your favorite role that you've played? I think when I allow myself any satisfaction at all about my career, that is a hard question to answer. 
Um, it's also why I love when people come and interact with me in life. I have no idea what it's going to be. I know it's not always going to be the Marvel character that I play that everybody knows me from. It could be anything and is, but I mean, look, it's hard to top Sam Seaborn in the West wing and it's hard to top Chris Traeger in Parks and Rec. You know, and I love things like when people go, Hey, I loved you as Eddie Nero in Californication. Or, or I like those things or like behind the candelabra, like where I'm really, 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 really at the edge of my range doing stuff that's just mental. Mm. So you have no shortage of work. We know that. But then you decide to start a podcast. Why on earth? You, you have no free time. So no. what made you want to start a podcast? So here's what it was. You know, I've been doing talk shows since I can remember, right? As an 18-year-old actor, I think I did my first talk show. So, you know, I've been on everybody from Carson to Letterman to Regis to Kelly to Fallon to Ellen. And over the years, I've had this journey of being terrified, being bad, not a good guest. It was horrible. I have a David Letterman experience that might be the worst experience a guest has ever had. So I I had a disastrous appearance on Letterman years ago, and I vowed never to be bad again. And I changed how I was a guest. And that led me to being a really fun guest and having a blast on talk shows, a blast. And a lot of it is being really authentic and like getting off the talking points and just being you. And then I was able to co-host a couple of shows and had so much fun because it satisfied my natural curiosity about people, about current events, storytelling. Then I wrote these two memoirs, yeah. had a blast doing that, and people liked them. And then I did a one-man show that tours the country, which is a, not, it's not like the books, but there's sort of a reimagining of that experience. And for me, the podcast is the next step in that evolution. And again, it it allows me to do things that I'm not going to get to do in my day job, which is be curious, be myself, riff, be funny, reach people, touch people, and take advantage of an amazing group of acquaintances or great friends, people I'm interested in. My, My guests on this show not only are they A-listers and amazing people, but like this week, when this podcast drops, my guest that will be dropping is Gwyneth Paltrow. And, you know, I've known Gwyneth since she was 18 years old and crashing in my guest bedroom when she was having meetings to maybe become an actress. So so surreal. Oh my God. Yeah. So like I could talk to Gwyneth in a way that nobody else can. And I think that's, interesting. And my hope is that people are interested in pulling up a chair with Gwyneth and I just talking. Yeah. And I read that and I can hear that in your interviews so far, the ones I've heard that you really want it to be like raw, real conversation. So at the end of the day, what are you hoping the listener takes away? This is interesting because I have a perfectionism thing where I, I initially go, I need to be better. I need to be better, or I'm not doing it right or whatever. And one of the things I love about your podcast and what you're doing is you you have a very specific message 
and a very specific world you're operating in. And it's really, really valuable. I mean, particularly like I have two sons who are going into the workforce right now. And it's been a thing. Like my son went to law school, passed the California bar the first time and realized he doesn't want to practice law. So this is what your podcast speaks to, right? My podcast speaks to, we live in divisive times. Everybody's trying to show how different they are. Everybody's tribal. Everybody's dug in. Nobody wants to meet each other around the campfire anymore. This thing is like, let's get together around the campfire and hear stories and meet and escape, have fun, have a laugh, and and maybe, 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 maybe in a real sneaky backdoor way, we're just reminded of our humanity and that things aren't so bad necessarily and that we can all have a laugh and have some yeah. fun together. And, and also to show people that you think you know in a different light. Like I've had people say that the Magic Johnson interview, for example, yeah. that they've never heard magic like that ever. I haven't, and, yep. And I thought, good, that's what I'm in the podcast business to do. Yeah, and you're, you're so good at that. And it is true. It's such a divisive time. And I do feel like, and I know you're going to be like, she's just nice to me, but I feel like you're one of those people that you just are delightful. And that is, <laughs> no, it's very unique. Like usually to get that, there's like, oh, well, there's a cost, but that's not what you are. This is all so good. But before we keep going, I just want to thank our sponsors. I used to think that eating better meant hours of researching recipes and multiple trips to the grocery store and tons of meal prep. But then I found out about Freshly. They know that food needs to be delicious, healthy, and simple because let's be honest, if it's not easy, I won't do it. And if it doesn't taste good, I won't want it. With Freshly, you don't have to go to the grocery store. Instead, you can enjoy fully prepared dinners delivered fresh, not frozen, right to your door. Freshly's chefs and nutritionists do the hard work. So all you do is heat for three minutes and dinner is done. They have over 30 health conscious, better for you options like golden oven fried chicken, creamy springtime risotto and fall apart tender beef brisket. My favorite meal was their chicken pilaf. It tasted super fresh and the flavors were well balanced. And it really felt like I was eating a home cooked meal when in reality, it only took a few minutes to heat it up. Sometimes I forget to actually set aside time to make lunch or dinner for myself. And when I realize I'm hungry, I don't always have the energy to cook something. So this is really convenient for someone like me with a busy schedule. Join almost one and a half million satisfied customers and skip the shopping, prepping, cooking, and cleanup. Freshly is offering my listeners $40 off your first two orders at freshly.com slash dream job. That's freshly.com slash dream job. Indeed knows it's a cautious time for businesses across America. Uncertainty flavors every decision. Every financial commitment is vetted. And now your next important hire is more crucial than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search easier, like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half more times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed every month, Indeed is going to get you the hire you need just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job posts, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash dreamjob. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash dreamjob. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through September 30th. Parks and Recreation, we can talk about it just for a second because it really is my favorite show. And for so many people, like that's what that show was. Like it was literally, literally, literally. Yeah. So delightful. It was the most magical cast 
I, I can't even get it, honestly, like how it struck gold one out of every cool. single person. What was that experience like for you? At what point did you go, this is like really lightning in a bottle? Really, I knew how special the cast was probably by my second year and was, was inspired by them. Because not only is everybody hilarious, really smart, everybody is a good person, everybody wants the other person to win, no jealousy, no envy, no competitiveness, which is really, really, really rare in, a, in an ensemble like that. But everybody was so entrepreneurial and had their own like cottage industry on the side. I was like, I'm a, like, I'm a slap. I, I, need, I was like, I need to get it together. I, I can remember vividly like you know, rehearsing with Aziz and Zari and Mick, how was your weekend? And he goes, oh, I had a couple shows up in Portland. And I'm like, wait, what? Right. And so three years later on my weekends, guess what? I had shows up in Portland. <laughs> but it's because I was inspired by Aziz. I remember meeting Pratt and Pratt going, yeah, I'm auditioning for this movie Moneyball. And I remember my agents will tell you that I said, you should sign this kid, Chris Pratt. He could be one of the biggest movie stars in the world. I always knew Pratt would be a massive movie star. Oh my God. Um, and, you know, Amy and Rashid, they're just, they're, oh, I could go on and on and on and on. But, you know, Parks and Rec was almost canceled every single year. And it was a critical hit, but it never won any awards. Amy always lost to the hilarious nurse Jackie every year. So it's only in its absence that it's gone to this next level where everybody remembers it as being this really spectacular thing because it had a really loyal, insane following from day one, but now because of Netflix and people rediscovering it. And I think because its tone, which is just so sweet and adorable. I mean, that show's adorable. It's adorable. Yeah, it is. And that's, that's really hard to capture, really hard. And Arrested Development had the same thing where it was like Thanks. so well written. It was like anyone who has a brain knows this is a, so special. I was going to ask you this question too, because so many of our guests struggle with like how to deal with when you don't get the approval, when you get rejection and yeah. to be going back every year to the Golden Globes and the Emmys and it's, it's so close and it's like, it's so deserving of it. So how do you deal with it? How do you walk away and go like, no, that's not fair. Like, how do you get over that when it was so obviously worthy of every award? I, uh, I'm very well acquainted with losing the Golden Globe. I'm a six-time loser. Literally the last time it was for Behind the Candelabra, which won every single award it was ever up for. Everybody won every single award, got to the Golden Globes. I'm like, this has to be it. I've never had more acclaim for a role in my life than this. It's so much so that I was planning how I was going to walk to the stage as they were announcing the names. I was going, okay, I'm going to have to jump oh over this God. wall oh and I'm going to go through this tape. I mean, Michael Douglas had been up. Steven Soderbergh had been up. Matt Damon had been up. The writer had been up. And it was like, I think John Voight. I love John Voight, by the way. Great. But um, so I have that to look forward to. So one day I'll win one of those damn things. But look, those things, they're hilarious. I, I think I have a good perspective on them. You know, they're great, but they're, you know, they're whatever. And in terms of people's challenges at work, not winning a Golden Globe is a hell of a <laughs> That is an A-list uh, one percenter problem with a, with a capital zero of one. 
Yeah. And I took this class at UCLA. They have this whole like mindful awareness center and they actually used it as an example. And they said that they've done these studies about actors who win the Golden Globe or the Oscar. And they actually often feel depressed the next day because they assumed it's going to make them feel so much better about themselves or something magical will happen and nothing changes. There's that great photo of Faye Dunaway with the Oscar after she won it for Network, where she's, she's clearly been up all night at the Beverly Hills pool with all the papers with her picture across the world. And the look on her, it, it literally, it's that look of, well, okay, now what? And right. I would go one step farther. I think that winning the Oscar in today's world is not great for your career. Look, our business is so different now, my business, than, than it was when... When I was coming up, you'd win an Oscar and then there'd be another amazing movie or whatever. And now you win an Oscar and you get a commercial, literally. You get a commercial. That's the reward. And if you want to do another movie like the one you just won the Oscar for, they're not going to pay you. Mm. And so you go, okay, so do I go back and, and make less money now? Or they go, we'll pay you and now you're wearing a mask and a cape. That's what it is. There is no other option. It's crazy. I just had this vision of you when you said like we were talking about commercials and movies and I thought think of you auditioning and so many of our audience members have all this imposter syndrome and I imagine they look at you and think that you never get nervous. I would probably assume you never get nervous because you're such a pro, but I'm wondering back in the day, if you walked into an audition and used to get nervous, you obviously we're able to push through that in the beginning a lot, which is kind of superhuman. It doesn't even make sense that you were able to do that when you were just starting. How did you do that? How did you not sit in the room and go, I'm auditioning against this guy who's like 10 years ahead of me? Well, you're exactly right in, in terms of what it was like. The first excerpt of my first book, when Vanity Fair took it and put it in Vanity Fair, which was a thrill, that it was all about auditioning for The Outsiders. I'm 17 years old. Oh my God. It was Francis Ford Coppola, who at that time was the biggest, most famous, prestigious director in the world. And all of the auditions were open in that you were in a soundstage with every other actor who was auditioning. So you'd, there'd be like Dennis Quaid and Mickey Rourke and the guy from Happy Days and then the people who got anybody and everybody, Kevin Bacon, whoever it was, we were all there watching everybody do it. And I've always thought that I don't know if the best actors got those parts in The Outsiders at the end of the day, but I can tell you what, the best auditioners did. And it was kill or be killed. And you just had to come to terms with your nerves and you needed to be super, super competitive. But also I really remember about that time is how supportive everybody was of everybody else, which is, and maybe that was helped by the fact that Coppola had us all audition for multiple roles so you never knew what, quote unquote, your role was. So it was easy to be benevolent when you were auditioning for three roles and so was everybody else. But that said, we would help each other comb each other's ducktail hairdos <laughs> in the bathroom. And, and, I, and maybe I learned how to audition through that. Th wow. That probably forged me a little bit. But listen, nerves are a good thing. Nerves are a good thing. I mean, you're already down the, the wrong path when you are worried about nerves and nerves are a negative to be battled, overcome, gotten rid of. You want nerves. What mm. you want to now do is manage them. Mm. And yep. 
when I do my one man show, I still have nerves right before I, I come out for sure. Sometimes more than others. And when I'm really scared and I mean scared is when I don't feel anything. That's when I know I, I'm liable to have a really bad show. Yep. I love that you like turn it into something so positive. What's the thought that makes you nervous? Is it, I want to please them. I want to get that critic to write the thing. What, what's at the heart of that? Cause I think it's, it's universal for all of us, everyone listening. It's probably the same thought. Yeah. For me, I think it's that something's going to go wrong. Right. And what I've come to know only through so many years of experience is that thing that's quote unquote wrong is actually, if it were to happen, an unbelievable opportunity. I mean, Aaron Sorkin and I did his play, A Few Good Men, at the Royal Haymarket for nine months after the West Wing. And in England, the critics all come on opening night. It's not like New York on Broadway where they come during previews, which could be a month, and you never know who's there or when they're there. But so as if there's not enough pressure on opening night, you also know that every critic is there. Oh, God. So, so opening night, I'm playing Kathy, which is a massive, particularly the play, this is the Tom Cruise part of the movie. It's huge. And at one point, the, the judge has a big emblem on his podium. And at a really dramatic point, the emblem breaks off and hits the stage and rolls like, eeky, 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 like a cartoon, uber slow across the stage. And I just look at it, pick it up, look at it, show it to the audience, like, how do you like them apples? Go back and put it on, and everybody broke into applause. So I put that back on, got in this big applause, and was kind of feeling good about myself for a minute, and jumped two and a half pages ahead in the dialogue. Oh, God. Oh, Which, God. by the way, is a oh, problem when it's a courtroom drama, and in that two and a half pages, you need all those facts for the rest of the play to make sense. Oh, God. So I, I just took a deep breath. I walked really, and, and I, here's the thing is commit. Commit, commit, commit. Because if you commit, people assume you know what you're doing, right? The more you commit, the more people assume you know what you're doing. It's a good trick for any business. So I have no idea where I am. I have oh no God. idea what I've said or not said. Oh. It's opening night. Every critic in the world is there. And I need a minute to gather my thoughts. So I just did this most serious, committed walk downstage, looked out at the audience like I was having some great moment. And eventually, I remembered where I was and was able to think of it. And I went back and nobody ever noticed. Nobody ever noticed. But oh it's that thing God. of not panicking and committing. Do you know Andy Kindler? He's a comedian. Do you know yes, Andy? Yes, I do. I do. I, I saw him at UCB at like... And all the guys used to go there too. Like Aziz would always be, it was such a fun thing to do. But he was doing a set and no one laughed at this one joke. At like three people laughed and he committed and he went, you see what I did? He goes, anyone can make an audience laugh. I was able to make just three people laugh. That's amazing. Just those three right there. Who can do that? Like, and everybody laughed and he got the yeah. laugh. So it's like, yeah. it's, but to see people who are that comfortable I, I think deep down also we all want to, we all feel like other people are better than us somehow. I want to impress other people. And I think yep, you've sure. done such a good job as a dad and just sort of closing with this, like, I feel like your kids, I mean, they have this ability. They're so comfortable, like talking to adults 
or just like being themselves. And I feel like you instilled in them, like, you can take your space here. Like this person's not inherently better than you. Like just be respectful and be a person. And like, that's so you and that's so your kids and that's so unique, especially in this, in your business, everybody make, Oh, who am I? And then they become less of themselves. They shrink and they can't sit at a table and talk to someone like another person. And your kids do that so well. So how do you know that? And I feel like you must've had that at 17 in front of Francis for this feeling of like, I could be here in the room with you. Like we're just two people at the end of the day. Well, yeah. All of the people who got those parts owned it. I mean, you can go to YouTube and watch the auditions. They're out there. Oh, cool. And there's a great moment where Tom Cruise, who had only been in like Endless Love with Brooke Shields and a little part in a movie Taps. And he's auditioning. And he, in the middle of his big audition, he goes, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry. I need to say, this isn't working for me. And I remember thinking, this isn't working for you. Oh my God. This isn't working for you? What about Francis Ford Coppola? Maybe working just well for him. He's the director. And he had that kind of, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, and it blew my mind. But in, my boys, they, um, and thank you for, for such nice words about them. You know, being right-sized in our lives is the goal, right? It's like not taking yourself seriously, being conflated with not taking what you do seriously. It's like my boys have been raised with blessed circumstances, blessed. But that doesn't mean they should self-efface and not be right-sized in the world. On the other side of it, because of that, they need to be super respectful and empathetic and aware of what their experience is vis-a-vis most other people. And having that right balance is the goal. And I, and I think they do have it. But I think a lot of it, again, is, is because, you know, I think my wife and I are kind of normal, really. We, we don't live in Hollywood. We don't live in, in, even in LA. You know, our values are, are kind of different. And I think at the end of the day, your kids are going to be, like it or not, a direct reflection of your values. Well, that is such a perfect place to leave it because it comes full circle because that's the whole point of your legacy and why you're going to keep being successful for a hundred more years because you're just the most down-to-earth, real, likable human and that's it. So tell us where we can find your podcast. Okay, so my podcast, you can get on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher or wherever you get your podcast. It's called Literally with Rob Lowe and um, this week, Gwyneth Paltrow, like you've never seen her before. This is literally, uh, literally, this is literally the best interview I've ever gotten to do beyond any dream. So thank you for being here. I just adore you. you. I want to talk to you every day or every, you you make me feel so good. Let's do it. I'm I'm no longer right-sized. I'm too big for the room now because of you. Well, you're just the best. Thank Thank you. you. Oh my God. I really can't believe how much fun it was, how He really just made me feel so at ease and he's just such a special human being. It's no wonder he's been so successful. All right, here are the takeaways. Number one, 
Stay curious and interested. Stay connected to real life. It enables you to reinvent yourself and pay attention to new opportunities that the world has for you. Number two, people's reaction to you is more about them than it is about you. Number three, get off the talking points and be authentically yourself. Number four, don't worry about your nerves. Nerves are a good thing. Number five, we worry too much about the thing that could go wrong. If it happens, it's actually an unbelievable opportunity. Number six, commit, commit, commit. The more you commit, the more people will assume that you know what you're doing. And number seven, don't take yourself too seriously. Make it a goal to be right-sized. All right, before we dive into your wins, I just want to let you know that over the last few years, I've gotten really clear about how it is that I want to show up and build my business. And I made you guys a cheat sheet because I really, really want to help you understand how to sell things without being salesy. So I made you a cheat sheet and obviously it's completely free to go download it. You can go to kathyheller.com slash five day. And what does the five day stand for? Well, it stands for me teaching you about five day challenges, how to run your own five day challenge. Because when I first started out in the online space, everybody was telling me to create funnels and webinars. And I... I just didn't relate to the idea of like fancy slides and creating these like automated emails that have like perfect copy. It just, it's the opposite of what creates genuine intimacy. And I feel like sales at its heart is not about selling someone. It's about a relationship. It's about intimacy. It's about really listening. And so I feel like I've had a lot of success because when they zig, I zag and I created these five day challenges. And some of you have probably done one of my five day challenges. And what I do is I show up and for five days, I'm completely present. And I think what people are really in search of is presence. I think Rob Lowe is successful because he is there with you in the room. He makes you feel like he sees you and he I think that's part of why, as I said in the interview, he's been so successful. And I think that that's the thing that people need is to just feel like somebody shows up. And so I've designed a way to create a connection, to create interaction and true engagement. And then at the end of the five days, it's just an organic thing that people buy things from people they know and like and trust. And so I really think if you want to build a business, you should start thinking about what kind of five-day challenge? What kind of five-day experience would I, could I create? Because if you're going to sell something, it's really about understanding who you serve. And it's really about creating a deep sense of trust and connection with those people. And so I think it's our job. I think it's our job if we're going to be in business to to lead in that way. So go ahead and grab that. Go to kathyheller.com slash five day and let me know what you think. You can DM me if you have any questions, but it's free. It's a cheat sheet and it will teach you the seven steps to building a really powerful five day challenge. And I think you guys will find it really valuable and it's free. So go grab it. All right. Now let's talk about your wins. So Lucy posted in our Facebook group and she said, I launched my new sewing patterns this week and I simply can't believe how well the launch went. I sold about 170 digital items in just a couple of days, which I'm really so thrilled with. My confidence can be so low at times and I doubt myself, but Kathy's podcast has been a huge help for me. I'm feeling really positive about the future of my business. Lucy, that's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing it. I know it's easy to think, who am I to do this? Or am I fooling myself to believe that this could actually work? But I'm so proud of you that you gathered the courage and confidence to launch those new patterns and look how well it's doing. You guys, you can go give Lucy some love. Her Instagram is at Blossom and Friday. 
All right, here's the next win. So Rochelle said, I know this is not a big deal for most people, but it's huge for me. I am so camera shy. I conquered my fear and I just did it and I survived. If it wasn't for this group, I don't think I would have had the guts to do that. Now I'm ready to create a few more. Thank you, Kathy, for the motivation. Rochelle, way to go. It's a monumental step and it's totally a big deal. I think this will inspire so many people to realize that they can step outside of their comfort zone and do something scary. And just like you, they're going to survive it and come out on the other side so much stronger. I can't wait to see where this is going to take you. So keep us posted. Okay, guys. Well, I just want to say once again, because it really is the truth that I I am so grateful that you listen to the show. I really know that your time is your greatest asset and the fact that you choose to spend it here, it's an honor. And I, I hope that today didn't disappoint. In fact, I'm curious, did you like this episode? Did you find it fun to listen to, inspiring, interesting? Do you know anyone who you think might like it? Do you know anyone who's a fan of Rob Lowe? Do you know anyone who might think that this conversation was just sweet and heartwarming? If so, please take a second right now and share the show. Share the show because it helps us. It helps Rob Lowe promote his new show. It's free. It's all free to subscribe. And I just think that there's something beautiful happening in this community. I've gotten to meet so many of you on Instagram through my DMs and through email and through my own five-day challenges when I when I show up in that way. And I want other people to join in to what we're doing because I think it's unique and positive. So please, please share the show. And if you do share it, let me know. Go ahead on your Instagram and talk about the show. Tell people how fun this episode was. Tag a friend or two who you think love Rob Lowe. And I will choose a couple of you and I will send you a package of Rob Lowe goodies. I will send you something super duper special. So all you got to do is share the show and tag me and tag a couple friends who you think might love the episode. If you tag me, I'll repost it on my own Instagram and I will choose a couple of you who do so and send you some really awesome stuff that you do not want to miss. I'm on Instagram at kathy.heller, kathy's with a C, so you can tag me and I'll repost it. Thank you guys for the love. Thanks for being you. I'll leave you with a song of mine and I'll talk to you on Monday.
Like a soldier.